Hey everyone, this is George Soto and you're watching Startups Unedited. Hey everyone, this is George Soto and you're watching Startups Unedited. Today I am with my good friend and founder and managing partner at Metamorphic Ventures in New York, David Hirsch. David, how are you? How you doing, George? Good to see you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. I know you're a busy guy. You've been doing some fantastic investments uh, over there at Metamorphic, so I really appreciate it. Likewise, George. Well, why don't you tell the folks a little bit about your professional background? How'd you actually get involved with startups and entrepreneurship? You have an incredible background at Google. Uh, anyways, I won't steal your thunder. Why don't you tell the folks a little bit about it? Uh, sort of uh, the, the, the accidental path, I think, uh, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a college graduate uh, in my uh, mid-20s, uh, fear of getting a real job, um, I uh, got uh, mesmerized by uh, culture and uh, the startup ecosystem and, uh, and the philosophy of not having to be at your desk to get stuff done and not having to wear a suit to be uh, productive. And I, uh, it was early days in um, uh, New York City actually, and, and uh, uh, my, uh, my, I was at three different startups actually uh, before I started Metamorphic, and some became bigger, as you mentioned, like Google and others uh, um, uh, got bought and, and absorbed. Uh, uh, I've always been the, uh, part of the first wave of commercial hires at West Coast companies, first wave of non-engineers, um, first uh, team to open up the New York and commercial um, offices of uh, different companies. First one was a uh, ad network in, in 1.0 uh, that was competing with DoubleClick and 24-7, and, uh, and uh, we got bought by uh, CMGI. The name of that company was Toucan Media, and uh, got bought by CMGI's AdSmart. Then uh, I had the great fortune of uh, meeting Tim Armstrong um, in 1997, 98, and he hired me at a company called Snowball, which was a, which was a youth media company. I guess today it would be called the Youth Millennial. I just missed it. I'm turning 35 this year. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, next time around. Um, uh, and uh, IGN was the big media asset, big gaming uh, uh, company. It's still super relevant today. We were the last company to go public in bubble one. Um, News Corp ended up uh, actually buying the company. And, uh, and then Tim and I actually in year 2000 joined Google as the first wave of non-engineering, um, uh, non-Mountain View, opened up the New York office, which was actually uh, Starbucks at West uh, 86th Street. Actually, if you come to Google New York here, um, one of the huddle rooms is actually still called uh, Starbucks at uh, West 86th Street. And then, um, you know, did lots of different things at Google, uh, mostly at all those companies I ran and started business development groups that um, were sales channel agnostic. And, uh, and uh, basically uh, matrixed into tech and product out west and uh, worked with traditional industries and helping them, uh, helping them uh, with, uh, with, uh, with digital. And, uh, and uh, I guess three quarters through my Google career, I, did my, I made my first angel investment actually in a company that became uh, Songza, the music company. And uh, it was called Amy Street at the time. And the model was variable price music based on sharing pre-Facebook and commerce, and it reminded me of AdWords. It was, the team was amazing. Uh, they become great friends of mine, um, and I got involved. And I got in a little over my skis, actually. I didn't really know what I was doing. And, uh, and it was my first exposure with uh, venture capitalists, actually, because I helped them. I was trying to help them raise capital, and I was really blown away. 
of how uh, how rude actually and arrogant some of the 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 VCs were who I came across. And I know by no means am I stereotyping all, but the folks that I came across and uh, people were afraid to say no. People didn't know. Uh, uh, people didn't get back to them. People were dangling check like they were God. And uh, somehow, uh, you know, I got I got deeper involved, and we got Amazon to come in and actually uh, invest and uh, join the board uh, uh, with us. And uh, I think that that um, that event was really monumental for me because uh, it made it was the light bulb that uh, sort of uh, alerted me that I wanted to build something different and special that was really founder friendly. And this, uh, you're starting to see this now, this evolution of uh, funds versus platform. And uh, I think it's a, a fine line, and, uh, but it's really about a behavioral switch that I think has happened to some extent of uh, being a founder-friendly uh, platform. But that was sort of my story that led me to start Metamorphic uh, Ventures. And uh, we've been doing this for about uh, five, six years um, and uh, having a great time. We're here in New York City. and. Uh, out west still out your way probably every four weeks uh so i have a lot of frequent flyer miles and um and uh we're excited here you know quick question what was it like being at google being tasked with saying hey we're gonna go ahead and create a an east coast office it's really early you're you're really coming from a product centric engineering centric uh culture what was that like yeah it was uh first of all um we uh it was amazing um uh it was a movement but it, and uh and it wasn't always though uh, you know we were we were we were probably hired as a beta project actually the non-engineers i think larry and sergey always thought they would automate everything and uh and uh, so we had to earn our keep uh, uh so to speak and uh and uh, i think uh it was a challenge actually i think uh it was uh it was really important for us to be out in mountain view quite a bit and and, uh, and uh, it is an engineering-run company, but uh, uh, it's, uh, I think, uh, the evolution and iteration of Google uh, uh, opened up as far as customers and people, and, uh, and uh, it was uh, a tremendous experience as far as uh, my role in particular um, was a multifaceted, cross-functional role where I was um, sales channel agnostic, but matrix into tech and product. Uh, so I had a lot of exposure to engineering and product, and uh, and uh, it was uh, something that uh, was a different, a different experience uh, being in uh, outer office, um, non-engineer. But I think over time that provided to be a, a huge asset for Google and uh, for our team as well. You know, we, that, I think that's actually a great transition to my next question, which is, you know, you, you've been coming back and forth from New York to here, here in Silicon Valley and Mountain View in San Francisco and have investments all over the place. What are some of the nuances between the startup ecosystem in New York City and Silicon Valley? I personally, I, I did you know, a couple years in New York working at startups there. So I have my own opinion, but I'd love your kind of your thoughts around it. A tremendous question. It's something we get asked uh, all the time. And uh, it's, uh, the world's gotten very small um, for sure. And, uh, and uh, you know, there's a couple answers to that question, actually. I think it's very different. And um, New York City is experiencing a huge renaissance right now. And it's, uh, it's really exciting uh, to see, you know, back, I, I mentioned earlier about my career path. Uh, you know, when I, when I started out, it was a super nascent New York City scene in like sort of bubble 1.0 days. 
and uh, and it, it's really matured. But uh, if you think about it, it's still very, very, very early in New York City decades. You know, the, there's a, the big difference is the ecosystem. We haven't had in New York City um, these huge product wins, uh, the, the, these big, big, big exits at scale. The reason why that's important, that creates an ecosystem of angel investors, of founders, first, second, third time founders. And so it's early and scrappy at times, but stepping back, there's a lot of positive signals that, uh, that uh, you know, that, that, that it's real and it's, and it's sustainable. We have Google has almost 7,000 employees, six, a little over 6,000 employees in New York City, like more than half of them product and engineering. You have the Cornell Institute. Um, Bigger picture, though, almost 60% of the global GDP categorically is on the eastern seaboard. Almost 40% of the S&P 500 is New York Metro. So if you step back and think about it, every company in the world is a tech company, right? So Google buys Nest. That was Honeywell's business. GM buys Cruise. Just this week alone, or last week, uh, Unilever buys Dollar Shave Club, Shave Club. So I think bigger picture, um, there's been an unbundling in a way of VCs where there were eight VCs that controlled the funding landscape in the Valley. And now one NEA equals 50 of us. And so I think a lot of West Coast founders, believe it or not, are interested in New York for the distribution aspect of the industry. Um, and so I, I think that, uh, you know, we're very bullish in New York City and we definitely invest in companies that originate out of New York City. Majority of what we do originates on the West Coast, actually. And, uh, and, and I think the value is the distribution into, into major industry. And so uh, it's, uh, it's, it's an exciting time in New York City, but we still have, uh, there's nothing like the Valley. There's nothing like the Bay Area. Uh, neglecting it as an investor, I think, is like, neglecting Paris during the Renaissance era, era. And so I think at Metamorphic, our strategy is to bridge the East and West, the East Coast distribution with the innovation uh, a platform of the West Coast. And, uh, and, and I think smart founders and investors are trying to figure out that distribution um, as well. And uh, I'm bullish New York, but I think we're, we're early. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, from my experience with Mopub, I mean, we started, the, you know, as you know, the, the company here, you, you've been friends with us for a long time. So you, you, you were around to see us uh, really build that business. Uh, yeah, congratulations on that, by the way. Thank you. I mean, kudos to Jim and the Fees and Brian, who, you know, were the founders and really, you know, that's the hard stuff, right? Uh, really, you know, mustering the courage and, and tenacity to actually go for it. You know, and, and what we realized was that, you know, we were able to build an engineering team that was would scale and we could see sort of a, a pipeline of great talent here in the Bay Area. But when we started to think about hiring, you know, the, the type of publisher side talent that, that really got it, that really understood the ad tech business. And we talked about distribution and working with a lot of those big publishers, especially tier ones, you know, it was really about New York, Los Angeles, you know? So I, I that really resonates with me. Yeah, when so it's definitely the sales channel aspect, but then if you even step back, what's changing in New York, and I think there's some tentacles, you know, LA has become a very interesting market. And I think you're seeing Midwest as well, where a lot of these, these markets start very endemic. Uh, to their industry, like LA was sort of very entertainment based, but now you're seeing, you know, commerce, AI, machine learning, New York, you know, if you step back, you look at like uh, some of the wins like out of New York or um, uh, uh, potential wins, like so look at like a Warby Parker, for example. 
Um, that company, I don't think, would have would have begun in the Silicon Valley. You know, this disintermediation of the supply chain, um, and uh, and as a result of where these guys were located, you know, this Warby type disintermediation is happening everywhere. And it's like even Dollar Shave Club out west, similar type of disintermediation. And so I think that there is the sales channel aspect of a company like Mopub and many companies. We have, you know, Facebook has a huge office here, Google, uh, Square, Dropbox has just opened up an office. And so I think there's that aspect of it where you have sales and eventually business product engineering office here. But then there are certain companies that are endemic to starting in certain locations too, financial services, media. And so it's twofold. I, I think really at the end of the day, I think you're right that it's a huge part of a strategy for a, for a big company and a company's growing on the customer side. Um, and I think phase two, and we're seeing it happen uh, slowly, is the origination of companies and innovation. I think you have, you have an amazing group of people here and, and the taxonomy of industry is so, it, it is so diverse that, uh, that you, you get to see a lot of different types of industry. And I think the next innovation layer, actually, that we're seeing on the web is going to be, uh, is, is, is around incumbent and traditional industry trying to get with the program. And you're seeing, again, Unilever buying Dollar Shave Club, you know, uh, and, and, and that story, you know, is going to continue. Absolutely. You know, that's, that's actually a good segue into this concept that, that I've been really trying to sort of dig into. And myself as a serial entrepreneur, the founder, you know, being around it the last 14 years, what is it really like to be a startup founder in New York City right now with the macro environment being what it is? Yeah, no, it's a good question. It's funny, like, um, it, you know, at the end of the day, like founders are our clients and our key constituent. And one of the reasons I love what I'm doing is building uh, a platform and a venture fund uh, because it allows me to empathize uh, with, uh, with founders from everything from building a brand to sort of providing value and productizing that value, raising capital. Um, and so I don't claim to, you know, that uh, being a venture capitalist is the same exact thing as being a, an endemic founder of a, of, a, of a software company, but there are a lot of uh, like uh, attributes. And uh, I, think, um, I think it's, it's, it's you know, it's 100,000 feet and street level at the same day. And, uh, and it's hard, you know, it, it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of glamour in the media and, and the success, but it's, uh, it's a lonely, it could be lonely and it's hard and, it, and, and it's not without sacrifice uh, and uh, it's not without passion. And, uh, and so I think you hear a lot of the success stories and, you know, I think sometimes we hear the, the stories that don't end up so successfully, but uh, I think it's much harder than, uh, I know it's much harder than probably folks feel. And I think we're going to, you talk about the macro economy. I think that was a really good reset, actually, we had um, in our industry around capitalization and expectation where, you know, at the end of the day, we're building companies. And I don't know an overnight success that doesn't take 10 years uh, unless you get really, really, really lucky. Um, and usually in that case, the companies aren't companies yet. They're a solution to something. And so building a company is hard. And everything from focus to hiring to having the right team around you and support. And, uh, and uh, I have all the respect in the world for uh, our founders and just founders in general. 
You know, I love that you said that because I think there's a distinct difference. And I talk to folks about this all the time. I think this is one of the things that's the problem with, with leadership or startup leadership. Um, and, you know, it's the fact that we really tend to forget that building a company and building an organization is distinctly different than building a uh, product, right? Building a product is, is actually, for, in my opinion, if you're a reasonable engineer, you can build a product and, you know, very easily. But building an organization, building an organization that inspires and, and motivates and builds employees, I think is very, very challenging. You know, David, if you were to be asked, you know, what are some tips that you would give a startup founder, CEO about product market fit and specifically finding product market fit. What are, you know, one or two tips that you would give uh, these founders about nailing that, that very critical period in their business? Another great question. Like, uh, and the problem is it's like, you, you can't really give advice about finding a product market fit because the product has to fit. And, uh, and so it really comes down to like, uh, I think the, the motive and the reasoning and the passion and the pain that originated that idea. So often I get, a, I get calls from folks and, uh, and they're like, Hey, I want to start a company, you know, uh, you know, what do you think we should do? And, uh, and at the end of the day, you look at some companies, like look at Airbnb. And even look at the war. We just talked about Warby before. You know, both of those stories, and, and there's a million others, like, were evolved out of pain, basically. You know, you know and it, it was something real. It was pain and passion. And without that pain and passion, I think you have this crutch that everyone calls, you know, the pivot. Don't get me wrong. Pivoting and iteration is key to success and to strong founders. You need to listen to the market, and you need to evolve, and product needs to iterate. But it also can't be this crutch when things get hard. Um, and without that product and, and passion, it's very easy to say, hey, I'm going I'm to iterate, I'm going to pivot into something else. Obviously, we have tremendous stories around pivoting into something that wasn't working into becoming huge businesses of Pinterest and uh, Netflix, basically. Um, but uh, I think the pain and passion has to be real. You can't artificially create that. You know, I guess there are market trends that you could try to parlay into, but usually by the time that comes to the forefront of your mind, you're late. And so I think that uh, if you look at some of the founders and the most successful founders uh, in, in the tech in ecosystem and even sort of uh, general business population, the business creation was out of pain and passion. And I think without that, it, it's hard to have that staying power. David Hurst, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm going to be in New York in a couple of weeks. I'd love to grab dinner, catch up, talk shop. If folks want to follow you on social media, what's the best uh, social handle? Is it Twitter or what's the, what's the best channel? Yeah, uh, I'm agnostic. So I'm, my, my, my startup man on Twitter and Instagram and uh, Snapchat and stuff. Uh, but I, uh, Twitter and Instagram is a startup man. We'd love to get you on the show again, talking specifically about Snapchat and, you know, how startups and, and, you know, marketers can really use it, your opinions on those channels, because I know you've been around, you've seen the trends. I'd love to pick your brain at some point on that. Well, you got the passion. I'm always available for you. Thank you so much, David. Have a wonderful day and, uh, you know, enjoy the summer in New York. I love New York in the summer. It's hot. 